Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. This is The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. G'day, g'day. Welcome to the program. Welcome to Monday, January the 18th it is. Sorry, not. December 18th. What did I say, January? I think because we're already thinking about what's happening after Christmas and into January and what's happening in the new year. I was organising some tradies for the start of next year. How quick has that year gone? And we're right, only five six days away from Christmas. It has flown. And so as our radio experience, we're now in pictures, we're now in vision, you can see us. And I hope you're using some of our platforms to do that, whether it's the app or whether it's the website, maybe even uh, Rumble, Odyssey, Facebook, YouTube, X, all available to watch uh, TNT Radio for 2023 and, of course, beyond. First up, the year was supposed to be the breakout year for electric vehicles and those driverless cars as well, and it's turned into more of a breakdown year for both. And I've got to say General Motors is indicative of what has happened this year. We'll get to that story very shortly. I'll be crossing to London first up and speaking with media lawyer Jonathan Code because Prince Harry has had a mighty victory in the High Court and it came down late on Friday. This is over the Mirror Group and essentially their hacking uh, penchant over about, well, 12 years at the very least and this is because Prince Harry has wanted to protect his wife, Meghan, and you can only take him at uh, face value on that, and protect the memory of his mother um, as well, Princess Diana. I'll play for you some of the bile as well, which was dished up by, um, well, one of his arch enemies, and you can probably guess who that is, Piers Morgan. And you'll hear exactly what he had to say. But Jonathan Code is not a Piers Morgan fan. Jonathan Code is a Prince Harry man, and he'll explain why. My special guest today will be Dr. David Bell, who's going all out to expose the overreach being engineered by the World Health Organization on two fronts. And we'll get to that. The control freaks must be stopped. From down under today, a small change in the schedule, given the fact that we're getting towards the end of the year. Senator Holly Hughes will join us today. We'll discuss her appearance at a pro-Israeli rally over the weekend. The government's new suicide target for CO2 emissions. You see, I told you what would happen when Chris Bowen, the climate change minister, came back from Dubai. He would set us on a path to suicide. And that's exactly what he intends to do to the Australian economy. Holly will also look back at 2023 in political terms. And she'll probably, well, I've asked her to anyway, will come up with her most impressive politician for 2023 and the one which impressed her least. Then we go to Eastern Victoria, where young MP Renee Heath will report in for the final time this year. We'll talk about this week's controversial release of Islamic terrorist Abdul Ben Bricker. He may be released as early as tomorrow, we're hearing. And Victoria's food banks absolutely stretched to the limit this year, which 
is a clear measurement of the economy and how cost of living pressures are hurting so many people across Australia. We'll get to Rene a little bit later. Plus, you have the podium. It is all yours. I'll hand you the microphone. You tell me what you think. Step right up. We don't bite and it doesn't hurt. You don't have to be on video. You can be on your telephone and you can call us on these numbers from the United States and Canada, one 201 6425 from the UK, 033-0024-1026. And from Australia and New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. You're with Chris Smith broadcasting live on the Global News Talk Network, tntradio.live. Connecting the dots, painting the bigger picture. They always have great conversation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. As I've been covering in recent weeks, we've seen 2023 in green terms as a year of failure. Failure in terms of net zero. So many countries have thrown net zero out the window because it simply won't happen. We've had the collapse of so many offshore wind farms just about everywhere and the collapse of the EV market. We spoke at length about that last week. And some of the great EV advocates in the motor vehicle industry are learning this the hard way. Take General Motors CEO, the EV queen they call her, Mary Barra. A lifelong GM employee, Barra has been killing V8 gas-guzzling SUV projects. Uh, Also new fuel-efficient cars she's even killed along the way over the past eight years. Uh, Now, she was on a mission when she became GM almost 10 years to the day, by the way, to try and make GM an all-electric powerhouse and, of course, be at the forefront of self-driving motor vehicles as well. Here she is a year ago with this bold prediction. I think it's a a little bit longer game. We're taking all the steps to do it right to make sure we're positioned to have a full portfolio of vehicles and win. And and we have said that, you know, by mid-decade, we will be selling more EVs in this country than anyone else. Including Tesla. Including Tesla. Yeah. Well, although she was a glass ceiling pioneer uh, on a green mission, things haven't worked out so well. By the start of her... 10th year this year, she was taught a few hard truths. In the first half of 2023, in the US, Tesla sold 325,000 all-electric vehicles, while GM staggered through selling just 37,000. The corporate business plan, well, I'm sure she trashed it or at least amended it. In the middle of the year, she was weary but unbowed. I think there's so much changing right now. I mean, and I believe we have the right strategy. When people say what keeps me up at night is are we moving fast enough? And so I think when you're looking to move fast, when you can leverage technology in almost any part of the business, uh, you, you just have to keep driving that change. But the second year only got worse with just an additional 17,000 units sold from GM showrooms. That's by the start of December. The thrill of all electric has been zapped by inflation and, of course, cost of living pressures. Um, In terms of price, it's been a perpetual problem for electric vehicles. As for the cruise range, which is the driverless car models, Barra spent $8 billion, yes, $8 B for billion dollars, investing in the San Francisco startup operation. But in October, GM pulled about 400 robot taxis off the streets 
of San Francisco after one of its vehicles collided with a pedestrian who'd been struck by another car and dragged her 20 feet. The company was forced to lay off a quarter of its workforce. And so two weeks ago, it was time for a kind of mea culpa. Yes, we had some challenges with module production that we weren't able to deliver as many Ultium-based EVs as we would like. And we've had this recent incident with crews, uh, and we're doing a review, and we will make sure that we have the right path going forward. There was a lot of challenges this year uh, with labor negotiation, et cetera. Those are behind us now. And that's what gives us confidence in the business, confidence to do the ASR at a $10 billion level. And you know, we're going to move forward and execute and, uh, again, move past these, I'll say, bumps in the road on and the areas of of autonomous and electrification but because of her ideology it foreshadowed it overshadowed her business acumen of course driverless cars would hit an accident barrier of course they would have an accident it's an early part of the technology phase and they didn't think that that would happen so they spent eight billion dollars in the process and it's all turned to dust at least in the short term and what, she thought that people would just go out and buy these expensive EVs because they should? It didn't happen. But she didn't count on that. It's come at a massive cost as well. Even worse, as the Wall Street Journal reported over the weekend, the GM stock price was down 11% from its level when Mary Barrett took the job 10 years ago. That does not say too much for Mary. And as it reported, a quick look around the car alley, and we find that Volkswagen, Ford and other companies are dialing back investment in software-laden automated cars propelled by batteries as they face consumers who are not ready to make that leap. That's if, of course, they'll ever make the leap. And automated driving efforts are faltering as well, even at Tesla, which this past week recalled more than 2 million vehicles over concerns its autopilot system can misread external obstacles. The so-called breakout year for EVs and driverless cars in the US has been more like the breakdown year. Me thinks that even in the car industry, green evangelism distorts the realities of big business. And that has been the story of 2023. This is TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Patrick Henningsen. There's a dark cloud which is gathering over Ukraine. This has been an absolute disaster. In the last month alone, as it reported previously, Ukraine's lost 13,000 troops in October. So what does that mean? Well, you can guess that recruitment is probably down. So right now, the government in Kiev, the Zelensky government's doing forced conscription. Morale is at an all-time low. Uh, we've also seen conscientious objectives uh, who are taking to social media like Telegram, who have reported uh, that they were just finished a six-month prison sentence uh, after refusing to go to the front line. Some of the forced conscripts rebelled, were imprisoned for six months, did a six-month sentence, and then the day before their release, they were put into a van and then sent to the front line. I kid you not. Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk TNT Radio. God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. China has
says more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40. California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a thousand dollar a day fine. Government that stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. When I went into the White House, when I sat in on the task force meetings, was a shocking level of gross incompetence. The mortality rate from the virus was 0.2%, near 99.8% survival, rather than the 3 or 4% mortality that the, the people were saying at the time. The culture and the understanding of the people of Grace Church has always been, not only do you obey government, but you honor government. Thousands of people in the streets, but you can't have church. The hypocrisy of letting people riot it helped us all understand one thing. This is not what they say it is. By meeting, we're testifying the government has no jurisdiction here. I was arrested and driven to a maximum security prison. The government has obviously uh, turned up the heat on churches. My daddy. <laughs> when the churches fall silent, the only religion left is the state. We needed to make a biblical statement because we always put ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. LA County threatened Pastor John MacArthur with jail time and arrest. We were going to be sued. They wanted Grace Church shut down. We wanted to go on the offensive and attack the health order as unconstitutional. This wasn't about health and safety. This was all about control and opposition to religious freedom. As the government gets more corrupt and more corrupt, snitches get rewards. Its totalitarian control has to increase. And you have to have a mask on. And as they shut down any attacks against them, this is not about freedom or personal choice. The last thing standing is going to be the church. So many people who had no history of heart illnesses have got it now, or blood clotting after the COVID-19 vaccination. Punish those who hurt people with COVID madness. Lighting the fuse for freedom. TNT Radio. Well, Scotland Yard has not ruled out an inquiry into the way the Mirror Group of newspapers illegally obtained information, hence front page stories, by hacking the phones of British VIPs. This could be a criminal inquiry. Now, when a bombshell civil judgment handed down on Friday, Mr Justice Fancourt said that the practice was widespread and also habitual at the publisher's three titles from 1998 and remained extensive until 2011. Now, that is even during the Leveson inquiry, which, of course, was investigating evidence of phone hacking of the British uh, by the British tabloids. For all that's been thrown at Prince Harry, of course, in recent years, You've got to say it was his determination to honour, firstly, his mother's memory and his wife's privacy that led to this verdict. The judge found that 15 of 33 news articles selected for examination were the product of phone hacking or illegal means of obtaining information. One of the commentators at the High Court on Friday analysing the verdict for Sky News was Jonathan Code who's been a media lawyer and PR professional for more than 25 years. He's also an author and leading reputation management specialist, working with top brands such as Amazon, Gucci, Disney, Talk Talk, and the Universal Group. Jonathan joins us now from London. Jonathan Code, welcome to TNT Radio. 
Hi, glad to be with you. Uh, just the nuts and bolts, I guess, is the best way to start first, Jonathan. Less than half of Prince Harry's claims were proven, and this isn't the end of the legal action, is it? Let's take those one at a time. When you say half were, were proven, I think there are two things to say about that. First of all, all Harry could do was point to instances where the, the uh, unlawful information gathering, and I don't want to correct you, but it was more than phone hacking. It was all sorts of ways in which the newspaper illegally gathered information. But of course, the, the thing to remember is that the, phone, the, the unlawful information gathering was extensive and enormous efforts were made by the newspaper to cover up. Huge amounts of material was was destroyed in an in attempt. So, given all of that, you know, just just um, just under fifty percent was pretty good outcome. But the other thing is that with this win, there are going to be another one hundred and thirty articles which the, the court is going to now look at, which the Mirror and the, and, the, and the, the People and the Sunday Mirror published. So, even for the Mirror, it's not over. Um, so that there, there, you know, there there is still much to come. So, what was your second point, Chris? Well, the second point was there's more to come, but there are more um, litigants um, that may have. Well, should I say there are more news organisations that may have uh, a few sleepless nights from here on in? Well, 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 both because that that's by no means all of the mirror litigants. There's still dozens more who are suing the mirror, and the mirrors currently. Uh, worrying is whether it will survive. They've constantly said to the judge, look, we're, we're not going to survive this financially if the, the, the damages are too high. But you're absolutely right. Prince Harry's campaign, which I massively support, uh, also extends to the other two immensely powerful media organisations in the UK, which is News, which publishes the Sun titles and the uh, Times and the Sunday Times, and Associated Newspapers, which publishes the Mail titles. And there will be some quaking in, in, in boots in the, in the boardrooms of those two newspapers, and so there should be. The single most astounding thing to me was not the result was the fact that this kind of hacking was going on during the Leveson inquiry. Talk about the hide of some of these operators. But Chris, you make a very important point, and it's, it's very much what Prince Harry is trying to achieve. These newspapers have for years had a sense of complete invulnerability. It has never occurred to them that they're ever going to be properly caught or held to account. So for that reason, you know, why shouldn't they hack during Leveson? They were they were confident that whatever Leveson said, and sadly they were right, that the government would be persuaded not to uh, bring in the supposed that they reforms that Leveson uh, suggested. And at the end of Leveson, the only thing that really mattered was what was going to replace our press complaints commission, which was itself the third incarnation of self-regulation. Would the government put enough pressure on Fleet Street to allow itself to be regulated properly with some degree of independence, like our Ofcom? Well, Fle Fleet Street absolutely refused to agree to that. And that they do that because at the moment they wield much more power over the politicians than they should. The public worldwide needs to understand is, and I know they're on a pylon against Harry at the moment, but they need to understand he didn't do this for money. He certainly didn't get too much out of the result, did he? No, no, he certainly didn't get that for money. He didn't do this for money. And he's I'm sure he'll give away the, the damages. But even if he didn't, his his legal costs would 
the, the amount that he would not recover by way of legal costs would, would mean he'd still come away at a loss. No, he didn't. And if I may say, Chris, I thought your introduction was excellent. And you made the point that he's still trying to achieve justice to some extent for his mum, who was driven to her death in part by these people. But also he recognises that we as a nation, we British, don't have a responsible press. We do not have a press which it, to whom it matters to tell us the truth. And this criminal activity is 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 important but but more important to me is the lack of any obligation in the british press to tell us the truth and if we can't rely on the british press to tell us what's going on then we don't know what's going on very very true piers morgan was the editor through most of this period for one of the mirror uh, group newspapers he was his usual venom and uh, venomous self soon after the result came down when commenting on the high court decision here's part of what piers morgan had to say prince harry's outrage at media intrusion into the private lives of the royal family is only matched by his own ruthless greedy and hypocritical enthusiasm for doing it himself he talked today about the appalling behavior of the press but this is a guy who's repeatedly trashed his family in public for hundreds of millions of dollars, even as two of its most senior and respected members were dying, his grandparents. It's hard to imagine, frankly, more appalling behaviour than that. I'm hearing what Piers Morgan is saying, but this does not go to what the High Court was presiding over, whether he knew, whether he had something to do with all of this. What did the judge say about that? Well, the judge had a lot to say about Piers Morgan. It's difficult to summarise because the, the judgment was 368 pages long. But he was very damning of Piers Morgan. And the other thing to remember, Chris, is that Piers Morgan's fingers are not just all over the, the unlawful information gathering at the mirror. But of course, before that, he was the editor at the News of the World. And there's, there's, it's too much of a coincidence. I mean, in the industry itself, we, we all know that Piers was the uh, phone hacking and unlawful information gathering king at News of the World, and then he took the same trade over to the Mirror. So, you know, he is up to his neck in it. And all the, in a nutshell, the judge said Piers Morgan's, Miss Piers Morgan was up to his neck in all this. But, you know, Piers Morgan's not going to accept it, and he's completely wrong about about Prince Harry in, in, in every respect. Um, so, yeah, uh, as, as Piers Morgan said of Meghan Markle, I don't believe a word of it. Well, I'm afraid that's what I'd say to Piers Morgan if I had the opportunity. Yeah, well, you just have. Are, are we likely to see criminal charges um, come out of this finding? And would you like to see that occur? Uh, well, to answer in reverse, absolutely yes. Uh, the first question, absolutely not, I fear. One of the things, Chris, that came out of the first Leveson inquiry was the terrifying extent to which the police is controlled by the media. And that is as alarming as it, it can be. Now, so here's an anecdote just, just for you, um, which I, I don't think I said on Sky. A good friend of mine who's an ex-Met uh, senior police officer, it was she whose job it was to search Rebecca Brooks's room as part of the investigation, which led, unfortunately, not to Rebecca Brooks being jailed, but Andy Coulson being jailed. Now, one of her senior officers gave her a diagram 
And in that diagram, it showed her where in Rebecca Brooks' office she could search and where she couldn't search. Now, I leave you to draw your own conclusion. That interesting. So the chances of any criminal charges emerging would have to probably follow a change in culture within law enforcement as well. It, it absolutely would. And of course, that's one of the things which, which Prince Harry is trying to achieve. The problem is, Chris, is I, listen, I've supported uh, good investigative journalism uh, all of my life. Yes, I'm better known as a reputation management lawyer, but I have uh, uh, acted for newspaper, uh, well, not Fleet Street, but magazines, book publishers, uh, broadcasters, and we desperately need good quality journalism. But the, the problem that we have is we, we, we have too little of it. And uh, we also have a media establishment, which is the tail wagging the political dog. Now, there's plenty of things wrong about British politics. But what we what we can't have is the bunch of people identified in Fancourt's uh, judgment, including two board members, board members at Mirror Group newspapers, wielding so much power over both our political class and our authorities that they can sit and sit brandy thinking well whatever happens we're not going to be charged what needs to happen chris is there needs to be a sense at association newspapers at news uk at reach as it now is that the senior people know that if they condone this activity there's a chance they'll go to jail now at that point then the standards in the british press will improve well, let's hope that what was handed down on Friday leads to some kind of change in culture in the media and stops some of this phone hacking and the other methods by which information was obtained. What do you call that uh, in this case? Well, in, in, the, in the legal trade, we call it UIG, which is unlawful information gathering. And it's important, Chris, to understand that, that the criminal activities of the mirror extended far far beyond phone hacking so let me just let me give you i mean uh, typically it would be what they call blagging so these very clever people would ring up or email an organization and pretend to be often something to do with prince harry and get information out of them they'll give me one very striking example that harry himself gave in the witness box and I watched him give evidence because as you, as you if you said I covered it for Sky. So Prince Harry was in South America and opened up his news app or newspaper to discover that the details of his flights had found their way into into the British into the into the, the, the Daily Mirror. Now just pausing a minute, as Harry said, Harry's the king's second son. Harry is uh, a target for the Taliban because he fought in Afghanistan. So, for, as Harry said, this threw my security arrangements completely out of the window because suddenly anyone, any Tom, Dick and Harry could read about the flight that I'm going to take to fly back to England. Not only is that security risk for me, but it's a security risk for everyone else on the plane from the pilots to the passengers. So that is the massive significance of what's been going on. Yeah, it, you, you're not wrong. Hopefully, as I was about to say, some of this illegal information um, tracking and um, invasion will stop, at least um, 
at least while there's charges possibly hanging over the head of some of these news operators. Um, Jonathan Code, thank you very much for speaking with us and you're very generous with your time. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Jonathan Code uh, from London, media lawyer and someone who's been following this case very closely. There are more cases to come, more litigants that would want a similar verdict to the one that came down Friday in the High Court. This is Chris Smith on TNT Radio. What the hell is this? Breaking news. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Israel's war in Gaza is now threatening to derail global trade, with four of the world's largest container shipping companies now redirecting their ships to avoid rocket fire and drones in the Red Sea. Slovakia has expressed its concerns over NATO's involvement in Ukraine, and tensions appear to be increasing on the Korean peninsula, with North Korea firing two ballistic missiles into the Sea of Japan in a direct show of force against the US and its southern neighbour. The Common Housefly Caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then, dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Whoa. Dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNTradio.live. Just very quickly from our chat box, which you can participate in too. I tell you that all the time, but I'd love to have your calls on the open line. Let's have a quick look at the chat box, which you can get on tntradio.live. And Daniel's referring to what I said at the start of the program about General Motors, and he says, sounds like the GM boss is a failure. Well, in terms of driverless cars and EV vehicles, there are failures left, right and centre in the motor vehicle industry right around the world. Now, message to self, do not trust the World Health Organization. They are control freaks. At a media briefing in March this year, the WHO Director General, Dr. Tedros Ghebreyesus, said no country will cede any sovereignty to the WHO. Now, he was referring to their new pandemic agreement and proposed amendments to the international health regulations currently being negotiated. Dr. Tedros was wrong then, and he's wrong now. My next expert guest can explain how Dr. Tedros's clear and unequivocal statement on sovereignty is wholly inconsistent with the texts to which he refers. Now, Dr. David Bell, is a clinical and public health physician with a PhD in population health. He also has a background in internal medicine, modeling and epidemiology of infectious diseases. Previously, he was director of the Global Food Fund in the US, program head for malaria and acute febrile disease at the Foundation for Innovative New Diagnostics based in Geneva and coordinating malaria diagnostics strategy with the WHO itself. David joins us live from Lake Jackson, Texas. Dr. David Bell, welcome to TNT Radio once again. Thanks, Chris. Good to be back. Good to have you on. Dr. Tedros went further to say the claim that the pandemic accord will cede power to the WHO is quite simply false. It is fake news. Who's really guilty of peddling fake news, do you think? 
Yeah, I don't know why he's saying this. Um, the whole point of these documents he's talking about is to transfer decision-making power over health, public health, whenever the WHO asks for it, which is whenever they think there's a threat of an emergency, to the WHO from countries. Um, it's uh, the international health regulations, which are now recommendations. This is going to make them essentially mandatory. Countries will undertake to do whatever they're told. Um, they already have standing under international law. The intent is for the treaty slash agreement that goes with it that they're negotiating to do the same. So, yeah, the, the whole point of that, they already have recommendations. The whole point of what they're doing is that these should be essentially mandatory for, com for countries. Countries will agree to do to follow the directions of the WHO. So the, that is a transfer of sovereignty. That's what sovereignty means. It's decision-making power over your country and your people. So you can say it's good or it's bad, depending on how you see all this, but to say that there's no transfer of sovereignty is, is simply wrong. It's I don't know why that line is being taken. Well, if he's saying that there's no ceding of sovereignty by countries, is he saying that countries can turn around and tell the WHO in an international medical emergency to go and jump? Well, a powerful country could because uh, you can ignore international law. We see that, yeah. Um, lesser countries cannot because there's all sorts of sanctions and financial instruments and pressure, diplomatic pressure that will force them to do it. So it depends on the country, but the intent is like any treaty. You can break a treaty, but then why do you sign the treaty? A treaty yes. is a is a sovereign is an agreement between sovereign nations. This that's exactly what is going on here. That, that, so, that's so, what, that's but, why I raise that question. You know, if yeah. if you're not ceding sovereignty, what's the good of a treaty? What's the good of any agreement with nations? Your December eleventh yeah. article for the Brownstone. Institute is titled, Why Does the WHO Make False Claims Regarding Proposals to See State Sovereignty? It's a good question. What are the motives then for those directing the WHO? Yeah, uh, I think it's clear. I think people are starting to get concerned about this. And quite a few politicians are also trying to get, are starting to get concerned, not unfortunately those at the top of governments generally, with a few exceptions. We've seen the Slovak Prime Minister question this, for instance. But yeah, people are getting concerned and the WHO and those particularly who sponsor the, the WHO and what's behind these agreements, it's a big, you know, people made a lot of money out of COVID, they want to keep doing this. Um, they are concerned that it will be derailed because people are seeing this as you know, a transfer of sovereignty, which it is a colonialist sort of um, approach as a lot of, for instance, African countries see it, which again, it is, it's large, rich governments and very large Western corporations are really behind pushing this the hardest. Um, yeah, so, so, so I think it's, it's disinformation, misinformation, if you want to use those words, by the WHO in order to try to get these through and derail the increasing concern about it. Yeah, and I think this has started to rise up in 2023 as the pushback mm. has begun. They're trying to put a PR spin on all of this, as you say. Um, and don't these pandemic measures um, go against the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights? Well, yes, they do, and so did the COVID measures that we saw. So the idea that you can stop people travelling, stop normal social interaction, 
stop families, stop education, the right to education, the right to earn a living. These are enshrined in the, as you said, in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. This this came out, and you know, the, the Nuremberg Code, for instance, talks about it specifically about trials, but you can argue that even the, the vaccines, when they're not completed phase three trials, they were on a trial as well. The, the, that says that you can't use coercion. So you can't say you will lose your job if you don't do this, you will you know, not be able to grow, buy groceries if you don't have this vaccine. The, the, these came out of the Second World War. They came out of the, you know, before the Second World War, we had the 1930s and 20s with eugenics and so on. And public health went down this road as it has at other times of really working for these sort of feudalistic lord type people and for large corporations against the common good. And we just saw that, I think, with the COVID response. This is where the pandemic response is going. So, yeah, the, those, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights was put there after the Second World War to try to stop that happening again. And these clearly abrogate the spirit and a lot of the wording of it. Yeah, very much so. I, I just want to clarify something, and this may be beneficial to our listeners because, you know, hundreds of proposed amendments are now being negotiated for the WHO's International Health Regulations of 2005. This is separate to the proposed WHO accord or treaty, mm. isn't it? It's separate. What, what how? It is. Uh, so the two different documents, the international health regulations already exist. They're a set of essentially recommendations. They're, they have a standing under international law, but they're mostly recommendations. When there's a public health emergency, the director general can declare the emergency. He can recommend you do border closures, um, mandated vaccination, mandated medical examinations, isolation, quarantine, these sorts of things. And countries can decide whether or not to do it. With the amendments, countries will undertake to do that whenever the WHO, whenever the Director General and individual says they should do. The, the treaty is it's for, it's connected to it in a lot of ways, but it really sets up a new government structure. It's another conference of parties like the COP that we see with climate. They want another one for health emergencies. Mm-hmm. It, it has a lot of funding uh, behind it, so it's increasing the funding that countries have to give. It also has provisions that the WHO can demand extra funding and demand intellectual property, demand uh, materials, so production, manufacturing production, when they say that they need it. So, and between them, they're setting up a huge surveillance network, and there's already a lot of people employed in this, in the you know the public health industry, and it's going to grow a lot. There's a lot of money behind this is to surveil for viral variants and other threats. They'll find them because that's nature. And then they will be able to lock down countries and say, here's a 100-day vaccine. There's another vaccine program to get modified mRNA vaccines out in 100 days. They will be to get your freedom back until the next variant is discovered, which will be just down the line. And it's it's a way of printing money for large corporations, you know, pharma, software, et cetera. It works well with COVID, and this is sort of entrenching that mechanism. And I guess this is a a good cue to explain to listeners the conflicts of interest that exist in the WHO, because, you know, you follow the trail, you follow the money, you then come up with the reasons for why they want changes to health regulations and why they want a new treaty. Yeah, and I think we have to, it's not helpful in a way to say that WHO is trying to take over. 
The WHO is a tool of its funders. It does what its funders tell it to do. Mm-hmm. So those funders is particularly the United States and Germany are the biggest countries, but they have pretty strong um, interest in vaccine development, et cetera. And there's been an increase in private funding. Um, so it's about 20, 25% now is, and they're investors in pharma or their pharmaceutical companies. And so they have a vested interest, not in trying to improve nutrition or trying to improve, you know, the, the way the clinics work in low income countries or something. They have any, a real interest in selling health commodities, especially vaccines and drugs. Mm-hmm. So it's shifted WHO over the last 20 years from that former sort of idea, you know, you concentrate on high burden diseases in low income countries to anything that sells a commodity. Um, and especially if you can mandate people to do that. I've got a few other questions to get through, but we do need to take a break. If you can just excuse me, Dr. David Bell is our guest at this stage of the program. We'll come back with him right after a break on TNT Radio. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. I think we have a big problem globally with the perception that people have, especially with people who I think are quite intelligent, they're well-off, they're well-meaning, and yet they have bought into the whole man-made climate change scam. I was at a holiday party last night and a lady that was there had a Tesla and I have nothing against Tesla. So I was asking her, well, how long does it take you to charge a Tesla? She says five hours. That's in her garage. And I said, well, what if you're traveling cross country? She says, I'll look up rapid charging station. I said, okay, okay. And how long does that take? A half hour. So let me get this straight. You have to plan your trip so that you will stop for a half hour at charging stations. You have to go look along the route. I mean, I travel across the United States all the time. Takes me three minutes to fill my tank for 400 miles, not a half hour to recharge it. And what's interesting is it's tough enough to figure out which hotel to stay in as opposed to trying to find a charging station. But if you have a lot of money, that's fine. But things got sort of sticky at the end of the party to a point where my wife actually grabbed me and said, come on, let's go. When the lady said to me, well, I'm doing my part to stop CO2 from warming the atmosphere. Again, what bothers me is that she's very intelligent. I've had this encounter with a lot of intelligent people that they have actually been brainwashed. So we got a whole lot of work to do to try to at least get people to understand what's going on and to look at it. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. While serving in Afghanistan, I was hit by sniper fire. The fighting was so intense, the medevac chopper was barely able to land. In the hospital, I was given a 5% chance to live. It's a good thing math wasn't my best subject. Today, I visit classrooms and share my story. I talk to kids about dealing with life's struggles. I tell them, with a little help and a lot of work, that you can overcome any challenge. DAV helps veterans like Adam get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. I know that some struggles are big and some are small, but they're all struggles, and you have to learn to get through them. With support from DAV, more veterans like me can live their best life. And as a new father, I have one more reason to keep on keeping on. My victory is being there for the next generation. Adam Alexander, 
May your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Focused on the facts. Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. We were talking about countries losing their sovereignty if they signed up to the WHO treaty. Um, And it's interesting. It's a bit of a a sideline issue, but I think it's important to tell you about. Warwick has sent me a message on the chat box and said, I did security for the passenger ships and we have to sign paperwork not to tell the media anything about health issues on the passenger ships. 45,000 Australian citizens locked out of Australia. No help to survive in another country. That's an interesting new document that staff are having to sign. They don't want to tell the truth, do they? Let's get back to Dr. David Bell. Um, David, I noticed Pfizer had sued the Hungarian government because they allegedly, the government, failed to pay for their product. Um, I doubt whether it'll make too much of a difference to the bottom line at Pfizer, but how, you know, what power does a nation have when facing legal action against the big pharmaceuticals like Pfizer? I don't know. They've they've done the same to the Polish government. So, because both countries, um, I think like other countries such as Australia, where they, they've ordered several years of vaccines ahead of time, and then, you know, you know well, certainly in most countries, um, people aren't taking them much anymore. I think the US, about 10% of people took the last booster. It's, so governments are being saddled with these huge outlays of taxpayers' money and no one wants it. Um, but the, the, original, um, the original agreements with Pfizer, contracts with Pfizer, which are mostly confidential, which is pretty strange as well, given those taxpayers' money, they seem to have built-in assurances that they're going to keep buying COVID vaccines for a long time to come, which was pretty strange for for a disease that kills people at an average age of about 80 or more, uh, and that we knew. Um, and people like even Fauci has written that people would become immune pretty quickly and it would, you know, pandemic, uh, an epidemic comes, it goes away within a year or two. This is the way respiratory viruses work. Mm. Mm. And some of our government officials and leaders should have realised that instead of locking themselves into a to a lifetime of um, yeah. vaccines. In response to a petition created by Dr. Tess Laurie, co-founder and steering committee member of the World Council for Health, the UK Petitions Committee has scheduled a debate on the proposed amendments to the international health regulations for today. Um, The World Council for Health is calling on all concerned UK citizens to join them in London today, 4.30pm GMT, either in the Parliamentary Gallery or in Parliament Square, London. Do you see events like this one important, not just to communicate to the masses, but also to gather a little bit of attention from politicians? I think they're really important, yeah. Um, and getting this in Parliament is really important. It needs to be debated. We are, we are talking about treaties. We're talking about handing over sovereignty, which you know, includes that list we talked about, border closures, whether you can visit your family, um, you know, for being coerced or forced to have a vaccination. If our politicians don't think it's important to talk about whether that should be handed over to a group in Geneva, then, you know, they're not they don't seem to be representing uh, their constituents. So I think that the more that people 
insists that this is discussed openly in parliaments and that the general public has a say. I mean, this should be an election issue. It hasn't been in any country. But that's that's the sort of level that it should be. But without the likes of Tess Laurie and a few others, it's not going to be debated because politicians don't mm. want to go anywhere near what went on during the pandemic, do they? A few do. Most don't. And uh, yeah, I think that's, you know, politicians are in a hard spot. They The, the media is very heavily funded by you know, Pfizer and other big pharma companies. Uh, if they'd said that, if they did what Sweden did, Sweden's end up with the, the best outcome in the OECD, the lowest all-cause mortality over the last few years. But they were pilloried in the media. Uh, you know, if you're a prime minister and the media, every time someone dies, the media says it's your fault, you're not going to last long. So I think, you know, the politicians did wrong, but they were put in this spot by the media and the public um, allowed it to happen in the end. We've got to start, you know, looking ourselves and saying that we need truth told in politics and we need conflict of interest taken out of it. Yeah, very, very true. You've summed it up perfectly. Dr. David Bell, great to have you on the program again. We won't see each other or talk before Christmas. Have a great Christmas and thank you very much for your time. Yeah, have a good Christmas. Thanks, Chris. Good on you, Dr. David Bell. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, we need to have these debates. There needs to be test lorries in just about every country to have a debate about why you would even consider tying up with the WHO, which is so conflicted from big pharma and other donors to some kind of loss of sovereignty to keep them in charge next time we have a major pandemic. And who's to say that, you know, they are classifying a pandemic or an emergency appropriately, accurately, as they would normally do so, as opposed to doing so to appease their donors? That's the biggest worry for me, that they create scenarios and emergencies to activate what could be a money-making venture for many of their donors. Of course they will. I want to take a, uh, a couple of calls, if I may. Let's go to our talkback lines. You can call in from the United States or Canada on one 888 from the UK, 033-0024-1026, and from Australia or New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. Siv, good to have you on the program. Go right ahead. Great to be here, Chris. Uh, if I don't talk to you between now and then, have a great Christmas and all the rest of it. Um, I'm sure Same to you, mate. Well. Merry Christmas. Thanks. Um, yeah, look, I want to switch gears. I mean, that last bit there ended with, you know, we need, we, we need to be telling the truth. Well, I think I think all sides of Australian politics, particularly, and maybe UK and American politics, need to tell the truth about immigration. And the mm. fact that, you know, both sides of politics in particular in, in this, in, in Australia, have had this long, uh, uh, long-held policy of having a big Australia, and now we're reaping the the consequences of that. You know, we, I mean, at the moment, we're pointing our fingers at the Labor Party; they're in power at the moment. But you know, but the previous government did know, the same thing. Has the answer? Sorry. Yeah. The previous government no. did exactly the same thing. Ex well, that's my point. That is exactly my point. And so, when is somebody? in the political class, going to have a semi-honest discussion that says, on topics like immigration, for instance, uh, no, we can't really be, we can't really continue to fill up the country with people unless we're going to work out, unless we work out where to put them, how to actually support them and all the rest of it. Because right now, Mr and Mrs Taxpayer is saying, well, hang on a second, we've got all these other problems we've got to deal with, and now you want to 
give us a big Australia also? I don't think so. And we know what the situation is in states and territories. Governments there have no idea how to cater for the numbers that will descend upon their jurisdiction. They're not ready for it. They don't have the infrastructure. And they're the ones that should be allocating how many come to their state. Now, that's almost an impossible task to do because they have no say in who comes to the country. But they should because they're the ones supplying the infrastructure or lack thereof. That's right. That's right. And the most annoying part about it is you've got one side of politics that seems to be, you know, yes, we're going to stop the boats. Yes, we're going to do all this stuff. And that's great. But this broader issue of immigration in and of itself, I don't think it's being honestly discussed. No. The fear, I don't know what the fear is, probably race and water. And by the way, a warning to that side of politics, if you don't honestly discuss these issues, people will turn to alternatives. They will turn to alternatives. That doesn't just apply to immigration, by the way, but if you guys don't look like you're answering the questions and don't look like you've got solutions for people, guess what? They're going to go into the arms of places like One Nation or United Australia or, you know, UKIP in the UK or Reform or whatever it's called this week. They will go to places where they think those questions will be asked and those views will be ventilated and these people need to be very careful, otherwise they might as well be extinct and some of these other parties might come to the fore. Good to talk to you, Chris. Good on you, Sue. Well stated. Thank you very much. It is a warning to every politician on earth. You know, if you are not looking after someone's cost of living, and there are so many governments in power at the moment who don't know how to go about pushing down inflation and helping people's cost of living, and there are so many ways you can do that apart from playing around with interest rates, Uh, They don't know what they're doing. You're going to get kicked out. And if you play around with immigration and have open borders, they're going to kick you up the backside as well because you're taking their jobs. It is simple. It's politics 101, but they keep stuffing it up. And it's not just in countries that I live in or countries that I visit like the United States. It's happening in the UK as well. They can't control their open borders either. And their laws aren't tough enough. And they don't have a prime minister with the gumption to make them tough or the wherewithal and the intelligence to create a border protection policy that will pass the Supreme Court. It keeps getting pulled up by the courts. That's not smart enough. And you're going to get kicked up the backside if, you, if you're not smart enough and if you can't make a decent fist of controlling your borders and deciding who comes to your country. It's happened before. We've seen it. We understand this show. We've seen it before. Very quickly from the Vatican, I don't know why the Pope gets into political issues, but he feels as if he should. I won't make any further comment on what he's saying, but let me tell you what he said. Pope Francis on Sunday again suggested Israel was using terrorism tactics in Gaza, deploring the uh, reported killing by the Israeli military of two Christian women who had taken refuge in a church complex. At his weekly blessing, Francis referred to a statement about an incident on Saturday by the Latin um, Church of Jerusalem, the Catholic Authority in the Holy Land. Uh, They said an Israel Defence Force sniper killed the two women whom the Pope named, uh, and I won't go through their names, but they walked to a convent of nuns in the compound of the Holy Family Parish and were killed. The statement said seven other people were shot and wounded as they tried to protect others. And he had a lot to say about that. Look, it's well and good to have something to say about those within your flock that end up being the victims of terrorism. But do you think this is anything more than a total and utter stuff up? 
I think in this case you blame the stuff up, don't you? I've got to take a break. We'll come back. There's plenty to come, including Senator Holly Hughes and more right here on TNT Radio.